regular beans. What stuff? Get your popcorn ready. Welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. It's another episode of Regular Dudes Watching Stuff. I am your host, Jamie G. Esquire, the fifth master of unfinished business. Baby, you ain't kidding. And I'm here with Magnum Mills and the Soup Deucer to discuss what we've recently watched and to talk about the epic, I mean epic, Quentin Tarantino double feature, Kill Bill, Volume 1, Volume 2. Guys, it's been a day. I'm celebrating my guy, Josh Allen's birthday. I'm tying a little one on, and I'm here for you to do regular dudes watch stuff drinking a couple of really good beers from my favorite local brewery don't be fooled by the color on this one i've been doing ipas hazies but i just switched over to a lighter one i know you're like jamie g that beer looks dark and it looks like it's not light but it is it's an english mild it's a phenomenal style this thing is only 3.8 percent which is like great for me because i've been drinking seven and eights all night so to get a 3.8 that's basically like a like a Miller Lite, uh, and obviously based on this color, it's got some character. So cheers to you guys. Magnum Mills, where's your wagon park tonight? I mean, really, it should be a buy house, but I'd let Charlie Brown use it. I feel bad for that, dude. I think he needs it more than I do. I am Magnum Mills, and uh, I'm, I'm drinking a nice ice cold Coors Light because I'm just still begging for that sponsorship. Thank you for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on YouTube and find us on social media at Dudes Watch Stuff. Please don't make the mistake every first time pilot who's had a couple of bourbons makes and forget the flaps. Follow, like, and please subscribe. Helps other people find our show. We greatly appreciate it. Please and thank you. Rock and roll, man. Well, welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff, man. I am the soup. I am drinking my usual Bush Isis tonight. Again, you know, I mean, don't be a stranger. If y'all want to sponsor, man, I'm down. We're down, you know. So anyway, sweep all that shit aside. It's time to talk about Kill Bill, man. This is a movie that I pitched, and we'll get into the details here shortly. But uh, welcome to the show, and we are about to fucking get gnarly. We're about to roar and rampage. Get ready for a surprise. Sounds like something Soup Deuce would be all about. And you know what? We're here for it. But before we meet the bride, we're going to talk about what we filled our eye holes with recently. Ear holes are also acceptable. Any other holes are up for debate. We try to avoid spoilers. And we'll give you a heads up if we get into the danger zone. Mills, hit us with the 37 things you're doing. And are you finally wrapping up a couple shows? I mean, I'm wrapping them up, but not in the proper way because I can't pay skills to do a, a you know a wrap up old school style. I don't know if he's still doing those anymore. That would be always sick. Love, always love that <laughs> the the year, wrap, wrap up, up. From, from skills. Yeah, right. I, I think that would be That's super great. Um, I just want to point out, Yellow Jackets still very great. Getting close to the end of the season, same four Succession and Barry. All you know, two episodes of the ladder left. I think two episodes of the Yellow Jackets left as well. Going to be a crazy couple of weeks of television. Looking forward to that. Uh, Ted Lasso, still watching that. Really kind of stumbling towards the finish line. I hope they pull it out. But at this point, I don't have a lot of hope for it, which is a shame. Really enjoyed the first two seasons and even the beginning of season three here. Just do not so good so far, man. So uh, who knows? Maybe Sedeckis have nothing to do. Come back, uh, be back in the game again. Schmidt's going to come back again. Who knows? 
did watch the, I believe it's the uh, Paramount, is it the, uh, see, that's how many 3D starts, I forget which one it's on, but it was the, the Kiefer Sutherland joint, Rabbit Hole, it's kind of like a 24-ish kind of deal, got Charles Dance, uh, you know him, uh, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones, and uh, obviously uh, Benedict from The Last Action Hero, it, it was fine, if you like, you know, 24 or whatever, you kind of get your fix, it's not quite that, but it's close enough little conspiracy thing you know they try the twist or whatever and i think they did land most of them so you know if you get a chance i think it definitely plays better as a binge than something you would want to keep up on every week yeah i think that about does it for now and just uh be ready to watch it's always sunny in philadelphia new season upcoming in june as well as uh season two of the bear and uh season three of righteous gemstones june's gonna be a banger Cannot wait for Righteous Gemstones and Always Sunny. Those are going to be fantastic. Guys, for me, Jamie G. Esquire, the fifth. I have to second everything Magna Mills said about Yellow Jackets. It is fucking fantastic television. I finished season one. I am five episodes deep in season two. So I think I have three more to go to be fully caught up here with what's out in the world. But wow, if you guys are not watching Yellow Jackets, like, go watch it now it's that good dude it's a it's fantastic incredible how it's done the story keeps you guessing it's two worlds collided into one as george costanza would say planets are colliding and that brings me to seinfeld i've been going through doing a seinfeld thing i'm wrapping up season seven and it is fantastic they really hit their stride like season five into season six season six season seven has been banger after banger really excited about wrapping up that also you can check us out doing barry on the barry podcast you can also check us out doing succession on suck 10 both are really 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 good succession is like phenomenal television i'm gonna be bummed when that's done uh yeah man it's a good time dude for the off season of nfl football like we got a lot going on blessed for it soup deuce what you been filling with man i hear you on all that stuff dude definitely man both of you guys man I, aside from yellow jackets i'm behind on that i need to catch up and uh you know I, i'm looking forward to catching up on that uh i've been filling my holes a little bit man i've been filling my holes a little bit uh i've been listening listening my ear holes to uh to a bit of frank zappa lately which i've always listened to frank zappa here and there but most recently what came back to me um is a thing he did and he, and he you know it, it's like a it's like a rock opera it's called thing fish thing fish he's done other ones like this like joe's garage and shit but thing fish is the one that i'm at right now and uh and i remember checking it out when i was younger but it's a story and it's in it's awesome man it's it's definitely classic frank zappa fucking uh like a play on like it's like a play but it's in your fucking ears you know and uh as far as eye holes goes you know i uh i watched this movie you know i like those fucking cheesy fucking bc horror movies man there's one called terrifier they even made a second part to this and that one's pretty fucking good dude got a fucked up clown in it and shit it's definitely uh definitely something if you like that kind of stuff to check out another movie that i randomly came across which was I don't even know. I'd put this down in like the C or D category as far as like, you know, I mean, the acting's terrible and, and the cat, you know, I mean, it's one of those, you don't know anybody in it. It's just like a bullshit movie, but the idea was pretty cool. And it's called Dave made a maze. It's streaming on fucking something, but, it, but, it, but like the, the premise is all right. And it's almost like a John dies at the end, but like way fucking cheesier. 
and uh it, it was a good watch it was a good some a good one of those for me to stumble on if you if you if you like that kind of shit it's it's worth the look man you know so there's my eye holes for now that's good soup i just want to say soup i think you're a genius because fucking something is the best name for a streaming service i've ever heard think about hbo's now rebranding to like the max or something stupid it should be fucking something right because everyone yeah. just say oh it's streaming on fucking something uh, i think that's brilliant dude that Let's is absolute genius you gotta right trademark there, dude. that dude I, we're sure taking a, the shit out of this so someone get mark cuban should we get the, get the, the twitter the property on attorney but i, I want do that have, binder. i do have friends in the business we will get this to an ip attorney and we Bring will get this trademarked and also shout out the Terrifier or whatever. That's a straight like great horror movie name. Off the top of your head, just give me like the like just a horrible like like a deliberately bad horror movie like a uh, like Sword Dick or something. I don't know. The Sword Did you Dicker. Say sword Dick. Uh, yeah, Sword, sword dick. dick. The Sword Dick or, or, or something. That'd be a bad uh, horror scary movie. Guy? Like a sea level I mean, horror movie. Yeah, I mean, he's got a sword bad. for a dick, dude. Or maybe it's a swordfish dick. I don't know. I- I'm going scary wow. guy. Scary guy would be very bad. It'd be like the opposite, Mister Nice Guy. Scary guy, and he just comes and kills people. Like it'd have to be like a real regular looking office dude. Like you don't even know. And then he's like real. Fucking and then he turns into scary guy. I got one, dude. Octopus cock strangler. Yeah, octopus cock strangler. Boom. It's a mouthful, dude. It's like, also a little oct- confusing. Is he strangling his cock? Someone else's? Does he use his cock to strangle? I mean, or is it his it's a mystery? It, uh, that's what okay. people want to See, know. I think that plays better <laughs> as a long term series or maybe a cartoon, like an adult cartoon. That could be a fun one. But then you get into some bestiality. One thing that we've done already here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff is we created value because we just like hit people with like a bunch of cool shit to go check out. That's what we do. And what else we do is we bring you our feature review for this episode. And this episode, it's a good one. Last time we had another stalemate, so we spun the big wheel in the sky. It kept on turning. And it landed on Kill Bill, which was the soup juicer's baby. And nothing wrong with Kill Bill, but it's the double feature aspect that was a bit controversial. Uh, Soup, why did you want to do Kill Bill as a double feature? That's a combined running time here of 248 minutes. So, like, we put in a lot of work to bring in this this episode, this podcast. Uh, do you really think that there's added value in watching both volumes back to back, or can these be two independent John skis? Yeah, absolutely. The reason the reason why I wanted to pitch this as a double feature is because I think it only makes sense as a double feature if we're gonna sit around and talk about it. You know, to say save the uh, the thing of maybe we bring up something from the other one, and then you know I get why he broke it up into two parts, you know, and it makes sense. But it, this whole movie as a whole really only makes sense as a whole. So I think to do a double feature, this is the one to do. Like these aren't this isn't a sequel. You know, this is volume one, volume two. It's not like you know. I mean, it runs together as a whole movie. It just needed the intermission, and the intermission happened to be. I think it was less than a year, right? When he when when they put the other one out, like I feel it was time. October to May or November to April or something like that. Yeah, it, it was, was a it fall was a to quick, spring release, quick, I think. You know, yeah, because I think he wanted to do this all one movie, but yeah, it was just too unwieldy. I think even to shoot it would have been. Uh, I think they tried to consecutive, um, but it just they couldn't finish it. You know, it would just have been a pain to, and you know, yeah, you have to get people in the theater for a movie that long. 
Right. Yeah. You got to get up and take a piss or, you know, whatever you got to do. Like it's a long time to sit down and, and for one sitting. And I get that, man. But uh, but as far as for what we're doing, I thought it would be cool to, uh, you know, to wrap all this up into into one uh, into one fucking box here, man. You know, that's what we're doing here. The whole bloody affair. And this is the double feature. And I think we should I think we should do it old school style. It will still blend together, but I think we do a volume one, then an intermission, then a volume two. This is Kill Bill, Volume 1, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Lawrence Bender, cinematographer was Robert Richardson, edited by Sally Menke, music by The RZA. Released October 10th, 2003, budget of $30 million, made $180.9 million at the box office, running time of 111 minutes, starring Uma Thurman, Lucy Liu, Vivica A. Fox, Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, David Carradine, Sony Chiba, Julie Dreyfus, Chikai Kuriyama, Gordon Liu, and Michael Parks. The short plot synopsis is, after awakening from a four-year coma, a former assassin wreaks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her. Well, you know what, man? We are about to give a full-on fucking spoiler for both volumes of Kill Bill, both one and two, and possibly any other Tarantino movie that might come into play. So if you're not familiar with this shit and you don't want to know about it, this is your first and final fucking warning, man. You look like a dude who would drive a pussy wagon. Just saying. I, I drive the pussy wagon all the time, dude. <laughs> it's 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 right up there with the stabbing wagon, dude. The correct answer is whatever you drive becomes the pussy wagon. It's like Air Force oh, One. Yes, yes. <laughs> Before we get into volume one, let's get to the let's get the obvious stuff out of the way. We're all obviously huge Tarantino fans. So expect, you know, don't expect a ton of criticism out of us. We're, we're just, we like this shit. So we're going to be, you know, looking at it through that that lens. Uh, there will be some, you know, but, but we love these films. So not a ton of criticism. There'll be a little bit, but not a whole lot. So just know that. A lot of column let's A, start a lot of column C. Yeah, let's start off by talking about just how big of Tarantino fans we are. Uh, Soup, let me put it to you this way. Of your favorite 10 films, how many do you think are Quentin Tarantino flicks? Out of 10? Shit, man. I mean, it's probably got to be at least two, maybe three. Yeah, yeah dude. Now, just off the top of my head, at least two, three. Yeah. Is, is he the only guy you think with multiple flicks in your top 10? Like, are you that big of a fan, you think? Uh, in a top 10, maybe. I mean, Tim Burton would be up there um, as far as multiple flicks, but uh, it, it's tough without without actually sitting and breaking it all down. So right off the top of my head, yeah, he, yeah, maybe. It might, Tarantino so top might tier, be. basically, is that yeah. what we're going for? Like, he's in your top tier. If a film, if a Quentin Tarantino film comes out, you're you're checking it out, basically, oh, yeah, yeah, without shit. even, no question. No question. Uh, is you know I think I'm pretty much the same way. I've really enjoyed all of the Tarantino stuff, especially earlier on. Like I love Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction now, but I really I watched them you know initially. But I was a lot younger. I don't think I really enjoyed them. I remember watching Pulp Fiction and being a little bit weirded out by the fact it was in like the widescreen letterbox format and you had the black bars and it was in on a VHS tape. It was something you didn't see a lot, and that weirded me out the first time for you know it's not really a good reason, but it did a little bit. And uh, I, I really just kind of missed Jackie Brown. I was, I was just kind of in a period of time where I wasn't really watching stuff. And then, you know, Kill Bill's both there for me in the theater. And then Glorious Bastards pretty much like sealed it as like, all right, dude, whatever. I am. He did this with, with that story. Like, yeah, I'm there for it. So I, I don't know if he's my absolute favorite director, but he is in the first tier, I would say. So 
pretty big fan. Uh, Jamie G. Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie ever. So that's pretty good. I was going to say, do you do foot stuff just because of Tarantino or no, that's just your own favorite thing? No, I mean, like, like that's like the fact that he is responsible for my favorite movie of all time is kind of a big deal. He would have at least two of my top 10, maybe three. The move, like his movies are so good, man. So big Tarantino fan. He's fell off. Well, I won't say he's fell off. I haven't been a big fan of the last couple. You know, I like the the the, the last joint he did, the Hollywood joint. Eh, it wasn't great. Like I, I'm looking forward to him to coming back in a big way. Um, hopefully that happens. But he's done enough to automatically be one of the best ever. And just what he does, the way he directs. The dialogue, dude, is just unbelievable, and and the characters he has, kind of in his stories, and how he brings them to life, and the actors he uses to get them. Yeah, it's slam dunk, man. Tarantino rocks. If you can remember that far back, <laughs> let's try to think about uh, the first time we saw Kill Bill Volume One. You know, for me, I remember being so excited about this because there hadn't been a ton of. Tarantino I think this was the fourth film that he's done right so there wasn't like a ton of stuff before that and everything else had been like murder she wrote so it was like oh dude there was so much suspense about this one and it came out and it did not dis- disappoint I did not see it in the theaters unfortunately but cop that DVD as soon as it was available and we had a sick setup in the house I was living at the time I think this might have been sophomore year of college it was ridiculous it was super cool and I was like wow this 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 is the best kung fu movie that i've ever watched in my opinion mills that's really solid this is really random because it was a case where i was at the time i think i was also in college and it came out and i had i just didn't go to the movies much it was kind of expensive still really. you know what i mean like you have to spend popcorn because i don't want to just go you gotta get a little something or whatever you want to spend 20 dollars back then you could buy groceries for a week on 20 dollars like seriously now it just gets you six rolls of paper towels, but back in my day. And before I just tell you to get off my lawn, I just remember one time randomly, like I had a whole thing with my buddy I was trying to have over or something. And then it was the thing where he came over to like hang out with my other buddy and it was some like petty shit. And I was like, you know what? I'm just out of here. I'm just like, I'm going to movie theater, whatever. And I saw Kill Bill Volume 1 and it was awesome. And I just knew coming out of that, I was like, well, not only am I, A, I guess I'm going to the movies more, B, I'm definitely coming back for Kill Bill Volume 2, and I totally did, and then, saw, you know, Bastards after that, I think was the next one. So, yeah, I actually vi- pretty vividly remember the, the night and everything. Uh, Soup, how about you? Do you remember the first time? I do not vividly remember the first time. However, it might have been the same fucking first viewing as Jamie G over there, man, because we might we might have watched it together for the first time. I if think not- we did, buddy. It could have been that, but I, I do remember when it, I was super stoked about it when it when it when I heard it was you know it, oh it's going to be a two part fucking whatever you know when it was it, it, Tarantino was making Kill Bill you know and uh, and and I was you know excited to check it out and everything else and I do remember hearing from like somebody who had seen it before me and and I think the I think the only thing I remember from the review is like oh, super fucking gory man you know and then that made me even like wow okay cool i'm down for that you know i'll check that out uh not that i wasn't going to check it out anyway but that just added a little bit more of okay that's uh that's another element there man let's make it super brutal and uh it definitely sized up i mean this movie is a fucking masterpiece i mean all tarantino movies kind of are but this one is is something special for sure man and guys we're going to break down volume 1 chapter by chapter and chapter 1 is titled 2 
and it features a fight between Beatrix Kiddo, the bride, played by Uma Thurman, and Vernita Green, played by the one and only Vivica Fox. The fight is famously interrupted by Vernita's daughter, Nikki, but eventually the bride gets her revenge. We open up with a big fight scene without much context. Unlike a Bond film, this isn't the beginning of the story. As usual and typical Tarantino style, he is not sticking to a linear linear narrative at all with Kill Bill. We get that right off the bat, which I like. Thoughts on chapter one? The Bond comparison is apt because it's just you don't have a lot of context. You just open up and she walks into the house and it's on. And then when the Nikki comes home or whatever, I just remember watching that. And that was just so shut out the actress she's great just kind of looking around and everything like what's going and then the whole bit with the you know the gun and the cereal and the kicking of it it was just so cool that she gets in the pussy wagon it's just it blew me away as an opening scene i would say overall and you get you get right off the bat here like whoa we're not just getting fight scenes we're getting like legitimate fight scenes with incredible you realize the score and the sounds her fight scene are going to be next level right off the bat. And this, this was big glasses breaking takes place in just like a regular house uh, somewhere in, 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 you know, South of LA or whatever it is, you get it right off the bat to, you know, all that Kung Fu shit that you want. It's done incredible in terms of the sound that they're going all in on these fights and you get that right off the bat. I thought that was really cool. And let's not forget about the scratching off the list. Uh, that was that was you know obviously kind of paints the picture like oh wow there's like a kill list here uh, that's pretty cool so you, you get a little you get just enough to kind of hook you I think from the beginning. Well yeah for sure I mean this this fucking shit opens up dude and it's ding dong on the doorbell and you know you get that the quick music with the quick eyes and everything else uh, the close ups on the eyes and then boom it's on dude punch to the face and it's it, and it's full on fucking brawl dude savage. You know, and it, it, I mean, that's a great way to fucking start a movie off because who's not going to be interested about like, you know, the rest of the shit after that. I think the only verbiage or the only fucking uh, the only words spoke during that whole fight scene are come on, bitch. Come on, bitch. Uh, that might be it. That might be it until they until the kid comes home and they pause. They have the fucking eye to eye moment. And then there's and then there's conversation there. There's dialogue there. And then there's a dialogue between the two of them as they're drinking coffee and whatnot, you know, trying to play catch up, trying to, you know, see if you can make it about scare. Talk about a great shot when they're fighting and you just see in the big uh, front, big uh, paned window there, the single pane, the bus pull up and the kid get out. And then the way, like you said, they kind of just great piece of acting. Vivica Fox and Thurman just kind of look at each other and they're like, you know, it's like, are we doing this in front of the kid or no? Are we doing this? You know, and then the way they just at the last second tuck their knives behind the back. And it's cool. I think, you know, again, this is the knife fight. It's kind of how movies are like this, right? Everyone has their own specialty. It's a little bit like that. I think in Game of Death. The final Bruce Lee flick, like every level you go to, someone has a different fighting style. So this was kind of the knife fight. So I, right. I thought that was really cool. And it done well because knife fights sometimes can look a lot of like if you go back and watch Under Siege, that's the worst part because it's really oh. just they're just waving the knives quickly in front of their. It's not really like there's yeah. not much to it, I would say. And I thought it was really done well here. And one last thing, too, is you kind of get a softness to the bride that you didn't because you don't know anything at this point. This just seems like a hardcore, straight-up killer who's just hellbent on on finishing off, you know, her her opponent here. But you get that little bit of softness uh, from the kid, which I think is cool because it kind of defines her character as the movie rolls on. 
you know, uh, Vernita Green over here, you know, which I like that because at the end when she walks out and everything, you know, she crosses off the list, but you already know that there's another person crossed right, off. Right, you see, yeah, that's, so I think you that's know great. That this, uh, you know, that they're going to get into that too, and that this isn't the beginning of the story, this is just what you're seeing first, you know. Shout out Uma Thurman. Like, obviously, we all fell in love with her with Pulp Fiction that came out in 1994, and she was Mia Wallace, and she was incredible, right? And she had this incredible chemistry with some of the other characters, most notably Vincent Vega, John Travolta. But we see her in kind of a new light here, right? And she's, like, bad ass. Bad ass, dude. Like, right off the bat. Like, no... And and we don't... This when is she kicks the coffee cup, see. that was always just a really cool, and then throws the knife, yeah. uh, pulls out of her yep. boot and throws it. That was just a great kill scene. And I think, you know, just to, she looks athletic doing it. Sometimes he's act like they just don't look natural doing stuff like this. And she really did look good doing all of it, I think. I think we have to acknowledge that for years, there have been rumors of a sequel based somewhat around the Nikki character. Is that anything y'all would have any interest in seeing? Absolutely, dude. You know, Kill I mean, Bill Three, Nikki's Revenge. If uh, Volume Three were to happen, I think it would have to play out like that. Right. That's that was my next lead. And so, you, do you think that would be the best Time Kill Bill sequel? and everything? Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Because uh, what else are you going to do? A prequel? You know, I mean. So I think uh, I think this is the play, dude. If they if they if he is to do something like this, and it, you know, this could be his last and tenth or final movie or whatever. Maybe this is what he's holding out for. But uh, but I, I yeah I agree, man. Going going in that angle would be very fucking cool, man. Especially with the aging of the characters and whatnot. You yeah, know, it would fit naturally now. Basically, you right, could do exactly. it. Well, how cool would it be to see the bride become Bill to a certain degree, right? And so that that's that's kind of yeah. that's kind of cool. And I, I I would be there for it. I don't think it's gonna happen, but if it did, I would certainly be there for it. And I think this is the angle. Where does Kaboom rank for you on your list of fake serials? Dude, I love Kaboom, man, you know, because it's got like all kinds of crazy shit in there, man. You got purple, you got green, you got yellow, you got, you know, Kaboom is something I remember as a as a kid. And I don't know, like, man, fucking I, I can't even remember what it tastes like. But uh, I rem- but I do remember it. And it was something I never had much as a kid. But when I got the Kaboom, I was like, oh, the Kaboom, you know. So, yeah, Kaboom, I'm down for it, man. Yeah, I mean, I may there have some great white bites. That was the the Planet Terror joint, but my favorite, of course, is the Grimeos from Noriega's grimy video. Gotta get your Norios, dude. Guys, that brings us to chapter two, which is the blood-spattered bride. We get a flashback to the bride at the rehearsal for her wedding to Tommy Plimpton. We're introduced to the deadly Viper assassination squad. They kill Tommy, and the pregnant bride is shot at the head. She lives, but falls into a coma. Bill doesn't allow her to be killed while she's in the coma, as she deserves a more honorable death. Fast forward four years, and the bride wakes up and discovers she's no longer pregnant. Even though she can't use her legs, (laughs) that doesn't stop her. She kills a man who is going to rape her, and she kills the orderly buck who had been pimping her out for sexual assault. Crazy, terrible shit. She steals Buck's keys and makes her way to his vehicle, the Pussy Wagon. That's right. That's his vehicle, uh, which we saw in Chapter 1. Guys, thoughts on Chapter 2? Do you think it did a good job kind of tying up a little bit of loose ends here? I I, I just got to say, the black and white wedding scene is incredible, and they timed it. I wonder how many times it took them to shoot it. They timed it so perfectly with the 
Bill, it's your baby. Boom, you know, and she gets shot. And I love Bill. You never see Bill's face, but just his voice and his words. This is me at my most. I mean, the dude is just, it's powerful for never even seeing him. I love whoever this character is. It's the most badass, like, kill scene without even seeing the person who's killing him. Killing her, really cool shit on that black and white. And the whole hospital thing, that was that was really cool, too, with Buck. It, well, I don't know if it was really cool, but it was a great Well, it's not cool, kind of... but I like how it, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, uh, it's horrible, but I like the scene. I thought it I thought it tied it in together. And it also, again, illustrated how badass she was. Dude, when she slams that door and Bud's body, like, convulses, that's wild shit. Yeah, that whole bit is just very visceral. And I, I guess you do have to shout out the bit, which I think is one of the more iconic moments of the film, when L Driver comes in whistling. Just wearing that outfit, walking through the hall, you know, before the flash forward, and then she's going to give the injection, and she calls Bill and everything like that. That whole bit with the hallway and the whistling and the outfit, and it goes to uh, multi-panels. I think uh, Tarantino said he was deliberately doing like a Brian De Palma thing there. It just the tension's building up, and you know, obviously she's got to live, right? You got to see the rest of the flick still. You, in fact, you know she lives past this point, but it was still tense as hell, and just that. You know, the whistling thing, I think it's just something. It, it, it shout out uh, Elle's driver there. I'm pretty sure she's wearing an outfit, and parts of it are drawn on. Like, the belt under one outfit is drawn on. It's not a real belt. It's drawn on. It looks like know. a Halloween costume. Yeah, you know? yeah I think it is supposed <laughs> to be kind of. I think that's the idea. At the, at the, uh, at the yeah, it's like a cosplay kind of thing back right. then, yeah. And I will say, guys, Ring, that, that whistle is so good. It is still somebody we all know, one of my favorite dudes, uh, his ringtone to his cell phone. So shout out. He knows who he is when he watches this, but that's incredible. And guys, are you a fan of the fact that we still, we don't see Bill's face in this, but we get him a couple times. I think it's awesome that they held out on kind of showing who Bill is, right? Like, I, I don't know. I'm a big fan of it. I'm sure that's a direct homage to uh, Inspector Dadget and Dr. Claw. I'm sure that's what it is. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, man. That makes a lot of sense. Sometimes this chick's cooch can get dry in a bucket of sand. If she dry, just lube up with this and you'll be good to go. Bone appetite, good buddy. Vassalou. Meanwhile, the situation that happens is so fucked up and off the wall. Like I would expect this out of like Rob Zombie or something, maybe, and I could see the similarity there. But Tarantino did great with fucking depicting this kind of fucked upness and, and like, you know, I mean, that kind of shit could really happen. But yeah, so Buck is in there, man. And he's like, hey, man, you know, what I mean, this bitch is coochie gets drier than a bucket of sand sometimes. So lube up with this, man. <laughs> and he hands him this fucking dirty, like full of fucking hair and whatnot, like fucking bottle of Vaselube, dude, you know, just grimy and greasy as fuck. He's like, all right, buddy, go to it, man. And then, uh, you know, I mean, so it's just a it's just a real gritty fucking situation or take on a situation that, you know, unfortunately could be realistic and it's fucked. But uh, but well played. And, uh, you know, she ripped the dude's fucking tongue right out. And and, and then he and then she slashed the other dude's Achilles, man. And yeah, brutal. It just shows you the savageness of uh, what this is going to be and what it's already been. You know, Magna Mills, anything on, on chapter two before we move on to chapter three? 
I do just want to acknowledge the whole bit of the, the pussy wagon. It was a real vehicle. Quentin Tarantino drove it around to promote the movie that it was in like a Beyonce video, a Missy Elliott video. I do not think he owns it anymore. But let me just put it this way. Uh, what do you think? Do y'all have you ever known somebody that would willingly drive the pussy wagon or would you willingly drive the pussy wagon? Dude, I got to say, I went to high school with a kid who he didn't have the pussy wagon, but he this was like, all right, this is like early to mid 90s when like right after like, well, I would say mid 90s to late 90s after like DMX came out and was a big deal. He put on his car muff riders uh, instead of rough riders. That's an homage to, to DMX muff riders. He ended up getting pulled over by cops uh, and they made him take it down, but Made him take it down. They right. made him take it off, dude. Muff Riders. He had to, he got he got ticketed. Had to take it off because dude, they he's said part it of his muffler club. He's part of a car. You can drive a fucking pussy wagon, but not a muff rider. It was on the, it was on the front. He couldn't see through it. So uh, oh, I don't uh, know. <laughs> but either way, I would not drive it. But this the pussy wagon was way cooler. But he had the muff rider, dude. Shout out well, to you. I, I would drive the pussy piece. wagon or the muff rider or uh, whatever, man. You know, I mean, it's cool. Muff but I knew it. Dude, speaking of knowing a dude, I knew a dude that used to have this piece of shit fucking car. It would barely fucking work, man. You'd always have. I think only like I think you had to crawl in through the back, or it was a hatchback kind of thing. But it was called the Blue Baller, you know. And he and he named his car the Blue Baller, and he had a fucking Blue Baller tag on it and shit. And, you know, just uh, reminiscing and whatnot. That was one of those more fucked up vehicles that I ever have been a part of, uh, you know, cruising around in. But yeah, above the blue baller, I'd much rather ride in the pussy wagon. Let me put it to you this way. You're out in Vegas for a bachelor party. You'd rather be in like the, the fancy ass regular limo or the pussy wagon. <laughs> I got to go to the pussy wagon, dude. Yeah, dude. It's, so it's again, I think we have a very good idea here. Somebody who's at some capital should go to ask his Vegas, you might need a fleet of pussy wagons. Yes. Somebody uh, should open up a... Uh, a fleet. A fleet of them. A Come fleet on, of I've pussy seen pizza, pizza joints that deliver pizzas and escalades and shit. We can have a pussy wagon service. Airport to the that. My, my first thought, dude, was like, do we need more than one of these? Because it's kind of like an original... Yeah, but then in the uh, you know then the aftertaste is like yeah why not and yeah, I mean let's have a bunch of fucking pussy wagons out there it'll be like the next it's almost like an El Camino anyway right like kind of looks like one almost is is that style of fucking wagon so uh yeah pussy wagon dude I love it we'll get Frank and Charlie to be our chauffeurs and we're good to go fuck yeah chapter three is the origin of Oren while the bride tries to wiggle her toes in the back seat of the pussy wagon. She tells us the story of Oren, which we see in anime form. Really, really, really cool. Her parents were killed in front of her when she was nine. She eventually gets her revenge, uh, becoming one of the top assassins in the world, and then becomes the head of the Yakuza. What do we think about Chapter 3? I'm just going to say two things, two points. One, the RZA really shines here doing the music and the score, and... This movie would not be as great as it is without him. So let's just say that right now. He nails the musical score to this movie and 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 Vine too. It is a huge part of it. It's like going to fish and not being able to see the lights. It's a big part of it. The score and the background sounds of this movie is a it's part of it, dude. Like it, you can't watch it without it. So he nails this, but I thought visually this was such a cool way 
to tell this story of this terrible nine-year-old watching her parents get brutally murdered in front of her and then her going on to get her revenge. I thought it was super cool to do it in anime, really creative. And I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, dude, I agree, man. Uh, switching to anime for this one was not only one, just fucking you're not expecting it. And for two, it's fucking trippy as hell. And it's awesome. You know, it was a great way to fucking put this into play. And it, and it goes on just long enough to where it doesn't like totally switch over to like, what am I watching now? And it brings you right back, you know, after, you know, I don't know, it was perfectly played, perfectly timed. And uh, I just thought it was brilliant, man. You know, I mean, uh, doing it the way they did it and the anime style that it did was just like, you know, blood spraying everywhere. And even like the, like the, like through the mattress, like, you know, like the blood drip, like the slow shit too was even fucking like spot on dude. Like everything was fucking killer about this whole scene, you know, and you got the, and you got the concept of the backstory of Oren through it, you know? So super clutch. Yeah. I think the story was, you know, obviously it looked cool and I'm sure they were probably referencing some anime stuff that I just, don't have the background in anime to know exactly what they were going for, but it looked really cool. I think the story itself was a nice revenge story. And one thing that gives it maybe a little bit of added backstory, even is David Carradine says that he is the man in the anime flashback who kills Oren's father. Like a, he, a younger build did that. Yeah, and so then that, cause I was wondering, all right, what did like, what would be so major that he would back her when she's 25 to take over the Yakuza? It could be a sense of guilt because he killed her father or something like that. Or maybe this was his plan all along or something like that. So I think that little added bit, I mean, I don't think Tarantino's ever confirmed it, but he's never disavowed it either. So I like to think that that's true. And that adds a, a little bit of a layer to it, but Overall, it's really cool, and you definitely get a little bit of like a young Arya Game of Thrones vibes, right? When you start getting like a eleven year old girl who's like stabby stabby like that, I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, I like yeah. it, and I like that this is kind of like laying out the whole like you know this is what you know she's in the back of the pussy wagon thinking about this, you know this is what she's about to go up against, you know, and uh, and I think it kind of kind of maps that out as far as like you know explaining to people that this is what she's about to deal with here, man, when she goes to. Uh, japan and handles that business chapter four is the man from okinawa the bride buys a one-way ticket to okinawa there she meets a legendary swordsmith hattori hanzo played by sunny chiba at first he refuses to craft a sword for the bride but he eventually relents when she tells him that she needs it to kill bill Guys, thoughts on chapter four? I'll, I'll I'll just say here for me, this was probably my least favorite scene of the movie, like my least favorite chapter. Um, maybe of both combined, a little boring for me, but you needed it. A little bit boring for me. This is kind of the slowest part, I think, for me. There's not a whole lot of action here, uh, but I do like when he writes Bill's name in the foggy window. Like that was kind of cool. But and shout out, uh, shout out to Sunny Chiba. The whole opening bit of the restaurant is one of my favorite parts of the movie, actually. The whole bit where Sonny Chiba is just kind of doing it on the casual and fighting with his assistant and then like the warm sake and he's so pleased. And then when she brings up the sword thing, the way he shuts off, like he was so happy to finally have someone to talk to him because, you know, he he's not doing he quit doing what he loves to run this shitty restaurant because of Bill, which is why he does it. But I think it's both cool and it also gives the bride a month to practice and everything and get back into shape, which makes the rest of the movie make sense from, from a story standpoint, you, you know, maybe he could have just given her one of those swords, but man, that scene with all those swords 
in, in the music and just the the reverence. And you can tell like she loves the swords. You even see that in volume two when she's talking with Pai Mei. He doesn't give a shit about the swords, and she she loves the samurai swords. And uh, you you know they're almost like religious objects, the the Hanzo swords. And I think they do a good job of, of setting that up and really making you feel like goddamn these swords are cool and important. Yeah, dude, I agree with you, man. And uh, I got to say that, uh, you know, this scene, uh, yeah, it's not action-packed or anything like that, but definitely very necessary and a major part of the story. And, you know, I mean, it slows down a little bit. It's like in the set list when, you know, they play a fucking slow jam and it's going to space out for a good 10, 15 minutes. You got to have that, too. But it's also, like, important to the to the rest of the whole fucking shit. I did enjoy this, and I and I like a lot of that. I love that he's always yelling at the guy in the back, man. It was like, like that whole, like, Yelling in foreign tongue for some reason is hilarious to me, especially languages that seem very aggressive. Like even if they t- even if they talk him like normal, like it just seems like you know. So anyway, that 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 whole shit was uh, was kind of fucking. <laughs> it adds a level too because you know that she also speaks Japanese, so she understands what they're saying, yeah, and they don't she, know she that. Them, I yeah, always love that movie trope where people don't understand. You get that, like she confesses it right away, and and like that was smooth. That was a really smooth fucking Beatrix move, move right there, like going in not knowing, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, I know Hanzo. Like like they say, man, it was like Hanzo is the best swordsmith ever, man. And if you compare a fucking Hanzo sword to any other sword, that wasn't made by Hattori Hanzo. Basically, it's on a whole other level of shit. <laughs> You know, but I, I did enjoy the scene. I liked it, and I love Sonny Chiba. You know, and uh, and in the words of Clarence Worley, he is the uh, bar none best actor acting in martial arts today, man. So uh, we'll stick with that. Cool shit. The, the whole little ceremony, you know, it could come off as a little cheesy, and I always loved it. Agreed. Is there any chance Hanzo could beat Pai Mei? Can Hanzo wield the sword or just uh, just make him? I yeah, uh, I don't he can't know. be Pai Mei. He could be something special, but he can't be Pai Mei. I think I agree because you see Pai Mei. He doesn't like the swords, but he can use them if he wants to. Pai Mei is different, bro. Pai Mei doesn't need a sword. Yeah, just because yeah, you can build a car doesn't mean you're a great driver. Yeah. We'll get to that in a bit. Let's move on to chapter five. This is showdown at House of Blue Leaves. After we learn about Oren's crew, the bride heads to confront Oren at the House of Blue Leaves. We go from no action to a whole shitload of action. After chopping off Sophie Fatal's arm, I mean, crazy blood here, guys. This was like all the gore. The bride fights Oren's bodyguard, Gogo, and her gang, the Crazy 88. After defeating them all, the bride faces off with Oren and slices off the top of her head it was just epic. The bride pumps Sophie for information on the rest of the squad and lets her live. Bill visits Sophie in the hospital and asks her if the bride knows that her daughter is still alive. Huge, huge shit. What do we think about the final chapter of Volume 1? How nuts was this? Uh, I got a lot to say. I'll let other people talk first and then I'll chime in. Really, one of my favorite parts here is just her flying in 
right? She's on the plane. The music cranks up. You kind of see all like uh, Oren's in the limo with all the motorcycles, the whole procession as the plane kind of comes in and lands and she gets out with the sword and her, that whole bit. And then she's on the motorbike, on the motorbike, motorcycle, whatever you want to call it with the, uh, the game of death, Bruce Lee outfit on where, you know, tailing Sophie Fatale and everything like that. I just thought that whole bit was just an incredible setup to a scene that it just goes on. It's not even a scene. It's, it's, this is a chapter. Like this is a, a book within a chapter. It's not a scene. It's not a sequence. It's a, it's a little of everything. And it's just, really amazing but even getting to the house of blue leaves is just fucking amazing i think no dude you're spot on and, and again how great are the sounds and the, and the music yeah the music this the is the spot the soundtrack here when the yeah, i think people in, it just gets you hype right it gets you hype and then it just it, it ramps you're just you're just you know something's coming like you know you're on your way the way to the fireworks factory and then you actually get there and it's a great fireworks factory it's so awesome Kill Bill isn't as good as it as it is without the incredible job that was done by the RZA. Like this, and people forget, like this was the RZA's first ever time doing like the the music scoring or, or musical arrangement or that kind of thing. Yeah, like in in a, as a dude who loved kung fu, like his whole life was like kung fu largely. Right, this was a perfect fit for him to do it. You can't tell me anybody's done a, as great of a job. Like he's, this is way up there, dude, because it needed it more than anything. Like he, he really crushes here, and this is another example of it for me. The absolute sheer when we first meet Oren and she and she slices the dude's head standing on the table. That scene is so fucking awesome. She's such a badass. Lucy Liu is incredible in this. It's crazy but when she comes in and she chops off the arm and it's it's squirting blood everywhere. I mean, this was what was this Mills two thousand five? We hadn't been used to like two thousand three. We haven't been used to like the crazy like gore that we see in like modern day shit, right? Sitting here in twenty twenty three, like this was good effects for two thousand and three. And it's awesome because it's almost like a video game, right? She's got to fight all the different waves of people. And I think, again, the very Tarantino-esque long shot when you first comes in and it tracks around and you see, like, Charlie Brown. And then you kind of go in, you see the room, and you come back around and you eventually see the bride at the bar, I think. And then, you know, you get up and she's, uh, oh, she goes to spy, right? And then, uh, you know, around she throws the little, like, she thinks someone's out there and sends go-go. And then you see the shot of the, the bride just you know holding yourself up on the ceiling while gogo's looking around and everything again just the tension building 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 how great of a fight scene was gogo and and i mean dude with the freaking spiked ball that's my runner-up well i know we'll talk about our favorite scenes fight scenes and shit but that's that's a good one man yeah we'll get we'll get there in a minute man going but going back because you to uh to getting into this whole thing is uh you kind of you kind of hit it right on the head with that one scene uh you know with uh with oran the, with the table of fucking, uh, you know, the Yakuza or whatever. And the one guy is being an asshole about it. And that's just kind of... Boss that, Matsumoto or whatever, the, the fucking one dude who's just like smoking his dog and he just can't like, he's got to say he can't, it. He can't help himself. Pissed, you know, yeah. And he, you know, he's a, yeah, I could, you know, you can compare him to whatever. Like he, he's just a bigoted asshole, you know, probably in any, every, every... He also probably just saw like a whole bunch of his people, you know, buddies get killed. Yeah. Not yeah. a good day for dude either way, really. Probably, yeah, and he's probably one of those dudes that doesn't want to, you know, yeah, honor and yeah, or a mixed person leader or whatever. So, so you know, he's giving that, and she didn't fucking play that shit. She ain't playing that shit. So you know what she did? 
There's one of the. This is actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole fucking movie. Is when she ran across that table and did the backwards slice, dude. Did the backwards slice and fucking lopped that dude's head off. It was fucking sick, dude. My favorite part of that is that for the most part, she never raises her voice. She runs across the table, but she doesn't raise her voice until the very end when she holds his head up. And she's like, if anybody else has a motherfucking problem, now is the time. Well, yeah, and she talks all like, you know, like... like Really? Like, I love that. Like, it's almost passive-aggressive, except right. for the fact where she actually does the aggressive thing and chops the dude's fucking head off, and then holds, like, the piece of his head off. That's just... I might be nice about it, but don't fuck with me, or I'm gonna collect your fucking head! Yeah, that kind of shit. <laughs> just absolutely, you know, badass. There's kind of a first wave of fighters where you get your initial little bit with kind of, like, the minions come on or whatever... That's pretty much like the initial wave of pawns. She, you know, fucking slices off a whole bunch of arms and shit. And then we get the go-go fight, more or less. That's the first, you know, that's like the next, the first boss, right? If it's a video game, yeah, you beat all right. the kind of henchmen. And then you get go-go. Jamie, you talked about, I know there's an, an exact name for that uh, ball and chain weapon. But it's just cool the way it's shot. You can just, the weight of it, it's knocking out like weight-bearing pillars and everything. in. It's cool fight versus sword. It's a very video game fight, but I think it's just awesome, especially because you get the idea that Gogo's supposed to be, what, 17? And she's basically nuts. She's, oh, my God. Completely crazy. Kills people just for fun. But, dude, some of this shit, like, it's so good. Like, when it hits the bride and she's like, <gasps> you know, I mean, like, shit like that, when it scrapes her arm, like, the way it goes. That's cracked ribs. Probably broken ribs at a minimum. Maybe it collapsed lung, really, but. Dude, yeah, the, yeah, the close-up yeah. of it going through those giant pillars, incredible cinematography here. Like, the way Quentin Tarantino directs us, it's, you get just how powerful that is. Yeah, it's maybe the one shot he stole from really the later cool. film. That's a Matrix shot right there. When you see the one with the yeah. slow-mo with the... I'm not... It's fine. I mean, take what you will, but that's a, a newer shot than some of the older Kung Fu flicks he was re- you know, referencing, but it's an awesome shot. I'm totally glad to use it. Just like how you know Riz has sneaked some uh, newer elements into some of the soundtrack. It's not all necessarily old Kung Fu flicks. And then it's all hell breaking loose where she's fighting... I don't know, 40, maybe not 88, but there's got to be at least 20 to 40 dudes with swords. She's fighting. She's running up the goddamn railings. And then you get the the power goes out. You get the awesome bit where it's just blue. And JBG, you mentioned it. Some of the black and white shit, they go to black and white a bit here. That was done for MPA reasons because there was so much blood. This was the only way they could avoid like getting an X or whatever. So that's actually why it goes black and white during some of these scenes is just to minimize the amount of blood you see on screen. I'm pretty sure that's why natural born killers did that sometimes. Yep, too. Same thing. But, yep. uh, but yeah. And the way, the way they did it here, I mean, this is just obviously, you know, I mean, again, a masterpiece, but uh, so well thought out, you know, you get a close up on her face and she blinks her eyes and it just changes back to the fucking, you know, whatever. And uh, it, it, like the music, the visuals, everything just goes so fucking well together it's it's perfect you know and uh you know i mean it happens these people are fucking in 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 pieces out here you know the ones that are alive so it's fucking crazy yeah whoever <laughs> makes artificial limbs in that town is going to make a bunch of money that's one of my favorite parts which she basically tells them you could live but all their limbs they have to leave because they belong to her now that is some badass yeah. shit well yeah man you don't get too much more badass than that you know Except for you, Sophie, you stay right the fuck there. 
She hates Sophie more than anybody else, I think, despite the fact that Sophie wasn't. I feel like she actually just hates Sophie the most for some reason. I don't know why. I just feel like she, she really has it in for Sophie. Life, <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of the plan, though. And yeah. uh, I guess the only other thing is originally Gogo was going to have like a twin sister who was going to seek revenge on the bride. And that's why there's a whole thing where like all of a sudden she doesn't have the pussy wagon anymore because that got blown up in that scene. Is that something you think would added? anything to the flick for you or are you okay that we didn't get it i'm fine with not getting it i think it might have just been an overkill you know i yeah, just love the one you're with right i mean maybe you could add something we 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 don't know what would happen to the pussy wagon but you know maybe it just went to that big uh you know uh campground in the sky or wherever you park your wagon at i think that pretty much brings it to the oren ishii fight at the end I mean, Jamie G alluded to it a little bit before, and I just want to say a very cool thing. She, you know, kind of brings up the thing about how it's going to be like, uh, you know, five minutes or whatever. Like, I hope you save your energy. You may not last five minutes. And she basically gets the top of her head chopped off four minutes and 59 seconds into the sequence. So pretty fucking cool on top of all the other coolness in the sequence. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the fucking... Uh the background the layout for this is phenomenal as, as i love the little as, water thing that goes up and down like the when the water's yes, coming and in and everything, it it's just light very snow and it's just like picturesque man you know red blood on white snow it's always a good look what a great way to end this masterpiece yeah and you get the idea that oren ishii really hated the bride because of the sword thing right like i think she felt that she co-opted her thing she was supposed to be the one with the swords and she's like a silly white girl likes to play with samurai swords or whatever so you get the idea that this was actually personal for her too whereas uh you know with copperhead in the beginning that seemed just like business right there wasn't really personal between them this one seemed a lot more personal i think which made it at least you know not a perfect ending to the uh, movie but at least a, a good climax where you could end it here and it doesn't feel like you're just deliberately chopping the story halfway through or something yeah, um, I mean, I get that, but again, as a whole, I don't think that this is what this is a good way to this is a good way to pause the movie. I don't Correct. think it's a good. I'm agreeing, but if you had to end it, it's a big enough way that you can get away with it. It's not optimal. But honestly, but... the movie ju it does shift gears in the second volume, and we'll get into that when we get there. But uh, you know, the 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 vibe for this one is 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 more kung fu, and it is more geared towards the whole Ren thing. Which takes up at least a good 30, 35 minutes. I mean, that, that final scene is a long fucking chunk of the fucking movie, man. And well-deserved and, and obviously really, really fucking well done. But yeah, certainly not the, you know, the, the ending to the story by any means, you know. Maybe the one thing we didn't touch on, do you like the tag at the end where we find out, you know, does she know her daughter is still alive? Yes, of that course. That works as an ending yeah. note. Yeah, that's I think so. Didn't come too far out of left field or like just a twist for the sake of a twist or anything. Well, see, the thing is, you know, there's going to be a volume two because like we went into this knowing this, this is a two part movie. You know, even even when it was happening, we went into it knowing it was a two part movie. So to to leave a cliffhanger like that on top of the other ones that are already existing. I think was fucking just another fucking cherry on top of that whole shit, man, you know. Well, for me, for me, I think throughout the entirety of this movie, you realize that she's driven by losing her baby, right? And having all that taken from her. So to find out that 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 that's she's still alive, that creates so much intrigue. Not there's already enough a tr intrigue. Who is Bill? Will she get him? 
Who else is on the list? How is she going to do it? Let's see where the story goes, right? But now you add that to it? Yeah, that just that just sets up what I think is an even better movie in Volume 2. Oh, and that is a wonderful segue because we're about to have a little intermission before we go on to Volume 2. So if you need to pause for a beverage or a bathroom break, do it here, but there will be good stuff in the intermission and not just some bullshit uh, movie trivia about Tom Hanks. For instance, I think we should all have our own assassin names. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, ignition sequence start. Assassin, assassin. I got it both ways. If we're sticking with snakes, I think Jamie G would be stiletto. After the stiletto snake, soup would be Bushmaster. After the South American Bushmaster, and I would be Blue Crate, Bungarus Cadius. I think that's a fun one. And if we could do any animal that's deadly to humans, Jamie G would be Roundworm. Soup would be Scorpion, and I would be Mosquito. Mosquito sounds shitty, but mosquitoes kill more humans than the rest of the top 10 deadliest animals combined every year, dude. Mosquito, dangerous motherfuckers on Earth. Uh, Anybody else got some assassin names, snake or otherwise? Oh, yeah, buddy. I I had us as poisonous mushrooms. And if we were poisonous mushrooms, I had Magnum Mills as deadly dapperling. I just think that's the perfect fit because I know he likes the double D's. How did you know the name of my clothing line, dude? I got a leak. I got to plug that shit. Deadly Dapperling, dude. He's very deadly Dapperling. And Soup Deuce, I'm going to give you the Destroying Angel. You're the Destroying Angel. That is your... I wanted penis envy, man. (laughs) No, not penis envy. Well, that's not a poisonous room, dude. That's... That's that's not a poisonous one, dude. That's, that's That's a psilocybin shroom, but that's not a poisonous shroom. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Death Cap. I'm the Death Cap. Magnum Mills is the Deadly Dapperling. And Soup Deuce is Destroying Angel. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't think that deeply into making fucking names for other people, man. I was just like, man, if I were to name myself as a fucking snake or something in the, in the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. I mean, dude, obviously I got to be the Trouser Snake, man. You like animals, huh? Sure. That's cool, even snakes? Well, you can't exclude an animal just because they're not cuddly. Of course I like snakes. How about trouser snakes? Ooh, what's a trouser snake? There's no way around it, man. Fucking trouser snake. Uh, that brings us to our intermission. First up, it's six degrees of Lebowski. How about it, Mills? Was it tough to get from Kill Bill to the big Lebowski? Did you find something? That tied the room together. I think I really did. It may or may not have been a pretty cool rug. A lot of obvious connect, uh, a lot of obvious connections here. Real easy to get to like three degrees, but to keep it a little bit tighter, it was more complex than that. Here we have Michael Madsen playing Bud. He played Rudy Travis in The Getaway, where Philip Seymour Hoffman played Frank Hansen. And Philip Seymour Hoffman was Brant in The Big Lebowski. So we're keeping it nice and tight. Two degrees of Lebowski out of six. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Root ties it all together. Sounds about right, man. It's right there on the rug, dude. You know, 
Let's uh, let's check in on some tasty beats from the man with the eats. It's time for soundtracks with soup. As far as the songs used, we know that Quentin Tarantino is always heavily involved, but the score plays a major role in both films, like we've talked about throughout this podcast. The RZA does most of the heavy lifting on Volume 1. He's also involved to a lesser extent in Volume 2, which is scored by Robert Rodriguez. Soup Deuce, tell us about these soundtracks, my dude. Well, I'll tell you one thing. These soundtracks both are fucking phenomenal. Um, the Volume 1 soundtrack did reach pretty high on the billboards, and it actually got number one on the uh, soundtrack chart or whatever the fuck when it came out and ironically enough the second volume got number two on the soundtrack chart when it came out and which is kind of cool both of them very very good uh not only in the eyes of the uh you know the super fans but also in the uh, in the air holes of the of the random listeners as well so they played out very nicely as far as they fucking fit in with the movies i mean it's just absolutely fucking brilliant dude and a lot of that's tarantino um, and a lot of that's RZA, dude. I mean, RZA was a perfect choice to put for, uh, you know, in charge of uh, uh, production of the soundtrack, you know, and uh, especially with the volume one. Volume two involved uh, Robert Rodriguez, who, I mean, you can tell the difference. You can see the different feel of it uh, when you're listening or watching that movie and knowing that, uh, you know, it's got that more, uh, you know, if you've seen movies like desperado or dust till dawn or you know whatever the fuck rodriguez shit then you then it's kind of got that like uh that close to the border yeah and it's more even a spaghetti western like a few dollars more like that kind of you know the first one the the first one the second one's loaded with a lot more instrumentals not that the first one doesn't have a lot of instrumentals but the the second one's definitely more tamed down mellower and i mean it has bangers on it too like about her or uh Fucking, uh, there's a couple other ones that that are lyrically uh, driven that that are good, but um, the first one, I mean, obviously you have Nancy Sinatra in there. Um, you've got uh, Charlie Feathers who makes an appearance in both of them, which is fucking great, uh, old school country dude. Uh, but uh, the the uh, the one that's considered the theme for Kill Bill is uh, the the fucking uh, battle without honor or humanity, and that's. Uh, often considered the theme for for the kill bill joint and it's an instrumental uh there's also another one in there that i really liked that was an instrumental that was uh overlaid on the soundtrack it had rizzo talking over it it's actually it's actually called the the oto renishi but they have, but they don't use the 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 voiceover in the movie but they use the instrumental part of it in the movie and it's fucking clutch especially for where it is and uh for where it is and uh again me saying where it is is the biggest thing with every fucking sound on this movie is the positioning the positioning for these things i mean it is fucking top fucking caliber man i mean there is nothing wrong with this soundtrack or the other soundtrack for volume two at all matter of fact they are fucking perfect if we're not getting i mean if we're getting any other details as far as certain particular songs by by artists on there and whatnot you know we can dive into that but as far as just a basic overlay this fucking soundtrack is phenomenal dude one of my person personal favorites was uh bang bang and actually like that that was that was really cool man like i i i bought this soundtrack and i remember listening to the soundtrack like it's not often in modern times i feel you know sometimes i worry like 
people that are under the age of 25, they really don't know what it's like to like run out and buy like a soundtrack album. And like we grew up in an era of like soundtrack albums. This was one of the more recent soundtrack albums that I purchased. It may be the last one, actually. This was way up there, dude. Super cool. Well done, Soup. Let's stick with our ear holes and let's finish up intermission by hitting up the fish list. That's right. It's a simple concept. Somebody reads two set lists to Magna Mills. One is a real set list from Fish, the greatest band in the world. And the other is a fake. Mills must then determine which one is the real fish set list. We formulated a list here, a real fish set list versus a phony fish set list, man. And Mills, you're going to have to determine which one is, is the real deal, the full Monty, and which one is not. So uh, we'll go ahead and dive into set one here. Let's say we're playing a show, go to a fish show, and here's set one, man. Set one's gonna start out with a fucking solid instrumental. We're gonna rage it out with Buried Alive, okay? So Buried Alive comes out, it's nice, it's funky, it gets you right in the mood. You're gonna carry that right into a fucking domino effect, man. A domino effect is gonna take you up and down, dude, all over the scale, man. That's gonna fucking uh, phase out, and we're gonna go into a really sick, long, fucking drawn out, fucking instrumental, spacey jam which also carries heavy and low notes. We're going right into Temple of Gloom, dude. Temple of Gloom fucking brings you up and down big time. Phases out real fucking nice and mellow-like, and then we go right into Frankenfingers. Frankenfingers is super fucking funky, dude. It's a fucking bass-driven song, man. A lot of bass in that joint, dude. So it fucking gets you fucking back moving again and shit. Right into another fucking high-powered fucking chalkboard, dude. Chalkboard fucking rages it man it's fucking intense non-stop from beginning to end doesn't fucking let you put your feet down at all then go right into a wasted mind a wasted mind is gonna mellow it out man and mellow the set out a little bit keep you fucking really interested but not having to move too hard man and then that's gonna go into a real subtle change in the whale song whale song is gonna bring you right up it starts mellow and then it ends kind of quick it's gonna bring you right up into a final to finish the set Real fast-paced fucking Sprinkle. Sprinkle finishes it off, dude. That's set one. Set two. We're going to start out with a gumbo, dude. It's going to bring you right in with a funky fucking gumbo, man. And then, going to get crazy. Not even stop gumbo. Just go straight into fuck your face. Fuck your face is going to rage out for a good fucking solid three, four minutes, dude. And just get silly with it. And that's gonna carry right on again not stopping we're gonna go right into dog log dude because i got my dog log dude you know you don't want to walk across the lawn and step into what your dog done gone dude so dog log and then uh right into harpua dog log transitions right into harpua man we're gonna tell the story of this fucking dog harpua goes for a while man then it's gonna fucking fizzle out and uh and then we're gonna go into a uh back in the chicken shack a nice solid instrumental man a really good groovy instrumental back in the fucking chicken shack man that's gonna go right into fucking taste right into taste man to bring you back up and to finish the set out gonna rage a fucking cavern and cavern is gonna put you in a picture of nectar boom which one is it man I think it's two because you tried harder to sell one. So I'm going with the set list two is the real set list. Set list two being the second one, I said? The second one, yep. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Damn it. Yeah. 
My delivery is possible. You just know you tried too hard on the first one. You sold them so hard. I originally started out like, oh, it's very generic, very generic, but then like Temple of Doom and Frankenfingers chalkboard. I'm like, Temple of Gloom. Temple of Gloom. Temple of Gloom. Yeah, that's a. I, I, you were. I thought you were going to. Yeah, but the, the second one, I don't know. I could just tell. Like, it just, I don't know. You, you seemed like you were trying to downplay it a little bit. So, uh, good <laughs> list. You had me on the list. I just, that was just based on your, uh, you know, whatever tells I can pick up, you know, doing the JVG poker thing. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. My poker pace was not on point. I will keep that in mind for next time here on the, uh, and and I'm gonna fool you with a fish list or whatever the fuck. <laughs> hey, dude, what a set list, man! I wish I was at that show. It's got me pumped yeah. for summer tour. Uh, we'll be there soon, guys, and we'll report back here on regular dudes watch stuff. And guys, whatever you do, take care of your shoes, man. Whatever you do, take care of your shoes. We hope that you got your popcorn and hit the restroom and maybe grabbed a drinky poo because intermission is over. And it's time for Kill Bill, Volume 2. Mills, hit us with those details once again. This is Kill Bill, Volume 2, directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, produced by Lawrence Bender, cinematographer was Robert Richardson, edited by Sally Menke, music by Theresa and Robert Rodriguez, released April 8, 2004. Again, budget of $30 million. Box office was... 152.2 million in the United States on a running time of 137 minutes, starring Uma Thurman, David Caroline, Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, Gordon Liu, and Michael Parks. The short plot synopsis is The Bride continues her quest of revenge against her former boss and lover, Bill, the reclusive bouncer, Bud, and the treacherous one-eyed L. And we're going to jump right into it. Chapter six is Massacre. We once again flash back to the bride at the rehearsal for her wedding to Tommy Plimpton. This time, we meet everybody involved with the wedding. Then we finally get a proper introduction to Bill himself. I love that they didn't waste any time. We get to see Bill and deal with Bill. First scene, he's eventually introduced as the bride's father. And he sits on her side. Maybe the only person sitting on her side. The rest of the Deadly Viper assassination squad shows up and kills all those present. Guys, give me the thoughts on uh, on Chapter 6. Was this a great opener or what? Oh, fucking absolutely, dude. You know, and you can't have a fucking Tarantino movie, really. I mean, you can, but... I mean, you expect a fucking appearance out of Sam Jackson, dude. And Samuel Jackson makes that appearance here in the first fucking uh, joint with the massacre at the Two Pines or whatever the fuck, man. And, uh, you know, I mean, how about Love Me Tender, dude? I mean, I can play that. Yeah, what do you think? Is this uh, this Samuel <laughs> cameo or True Romance Samuel cameo? Which would you prefer? Ooh. It's, it's tough, man. They feel it's similar, tough. right? They feel kind of similar. Short but sweet. Short and sweet. I prefer I prefer uh, uh, Jackie Brown Samuel L. Cameo. That's not a cameo. <laughs> I know, but he's great in there, dude. Cameo is like a or uh, coming to America, Samuel, and you could call that a cameo. It wasn't then; it was a bit uh, between but... between this and True Romance, man. I gotta say, uh, I'm only I'm gonna this. I'm Romance, this. Uh, yeah, it, it probably better. Yeah, maybe more lines. Well, because True Romance, true I think romance. anybody could have said those lines, and it would have kind of been funny. 
only Samuel Jackson could have done this and had it come off as good as it does, I think. Yeah, but I'm I'm still giving it a true romance because of the content. It was talking about eating pussy and everything else, so I'm gonna give it that. Although, you know, playing Lummy Tender. Yeah, I mean better content. I think the, <laughs> I think the words in true romance are better. That's why I give it up here because I think, you know, those words have been funny, you know. You know, like Chris Tucker, you know, you understand the words coming out of my mouth. Yeah, you know, I think as long as you can understand the words, it would have been funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, crazy scene, yeah, man. I don't and, play uh, with them. <laughs> Before we move on, I mean, Bill, right? Like, let's talk about Bill. Was this what you were thinking? Because remember, we go through an entire, you know, Kill Bill Volume One without seeing Bill. And was this kind of a cool way to do it? Because when we finally hear his voice in in volume one, it's somewhat sinister and scary and intriguing, right? Did this deliver? And were you happy with how they did this with him showing up to the to the wedding? It, to me, it just adds to the sickness of of what he pulls off here, right? Like getting her to be like happy with him being there. Like it was a wild kind of thing of just kind of manipulation to the to the bride, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not his most masochistic, but uh, I mean, Bill, like you, you hear him in in the volume one. You don't see him, and you finally do, and you're like, you know, I mean, it, it fits. It's like again with everything in this movie, pretty much. I mean, for the most part, it's fucking perfect, dude. I mean, Caradine plays this fucking role great, and they open it like when you first fucking see him, and she knows he's out there because he's out there playing his flute and shit. You know, he just looks up and he's like, "I'm oh, man." And he is, dude. That's fucking Bill, man. It was just, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know who else could have fucking pulled that off. I know, I know people like Beatty and whatnot were in the running, but uh, but I think Caradine was absolutely fucking spot on for this, dude. That's good soup. Yeah, I think that is absolutely true. And I just want to point out that I think this is where Quentin Carantino's use of the non-linear time frame, time structure, story structure, whatever you want to call it, pays off in a way that it doesn't with the way his imitators do it, because this adds a level of understanding to, like, we knew it all went to shit, but the fact that now, like, they're introducing the actual theoretical villain of the story in this flashback that we've already seen pieces of, we know how this ends, right? But it still somehow makes it carry more weight. You're oh, right yeah. down to the bit between the sheriff and his son, the deputy, talking and all that bullshit, and then she spits blood in his face, and he's just like, "Well, shit." Every time they show this scene, more and more that's is added and makes it more did. profound. Like, and that's what's yeah, super they keep cool. expanding like, and expanding. They keep expanding on it and make it better. Yeah, this is the difference between actual product Tarantino and the people who've tried to emulate him in his story structure. It makes sense right. the way he does it and adds to the story by doing it this way, whereas a lot of other people just do it for, you know, the sake of doing it, kind of. Like, after, right. like, Momento, uh, Memento, how a lot of people try to, you know, do the, the reverse thing, like, uh, you know, Jonathan Nolan did and Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I, 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 you're, you're spot on with the, with the, with the adding to it. Every time they go back to it, they make it better. The sheriff scene is super cool as he comes rolling up. I wish I had just one pair of those Ray Bans. Like he's got that's awesome... a, that's an homage to a particular movie. I'll, I'll show it if you're watching. I wish on I just YouTube, had one but, uh... pair of those sunglasses though, dude, because that would be then I would become Jamie G, the detective, dude. Like that's that's those are great glasses, great shades, man. Jamie G, private dick. Or public. Private <laughs> Depends on which day of the week it is. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, anything else, or should we move on to uh, to Chapter 7? 
any thoughts on why the bride married uh, Tommy Flimpton or whatever? Because he seemed kind of, it was that just for a cover? Did she actually love him? I think she was just looking for that simple life, dude. She knew she was about to have a kid. She didn't want a kid to grow up in a fucking assassin's world. So uh, she was probably looking just to simplify everything and, and, you know, bring up a child in the world with less fucking, you know, danger and whatnot. Yeah, flash on his guy. I can deal with this for a bit, right? And she, and he was probably willing to accept that it wasn't his. And he was dumb, yeah, or he was dumb enough to believe that maybe it was his. You know, I mean, yeah, you don't know the time frame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. he seemed like a nice enough dude, but again, like he was willing to be like down with marrying this chick who he never met. You know, anyone else she knows. Yeah, probably a nice guy, but not exactly the sharpest fucking right. knife in the floor, dude. Right. <laughs> well, guys, that takes us to chapter seven, which is the lonely grave of Paula Schultz. The bride takes out Bud, but he was warned by Bill. He shoots her full of rock salt and then drugs her. He agrees to sell her Hanzo sword to L Driver, and then he buries her alive in an empty grave, the empty grave of Paula Schultz with only a flashlight. I love chapter seven. So let's start there. But guys, thoughts on this? I like that. It seems pretty obvious that Bud is the worst of the divas. He's only there because of nepotism, because his brother runs the squad, but he's the one who gets the jump on her. I like that. Everyone else is kind of underprepared for her. He's the only one, the idiot of the bunch. And you can tell that, you know, he's working security at a strip club, like a shitty strip club, even at this point. He's not that great, but he's the only one that actually gets anything over on her this entire time. That's, that's awesome. Dude, I totally agree, man. I mean, Bud's character is is pretty fucking awesome when it comes down to it, man. You know, uh, he did get the heads up from Bill or whatever, you know, and, and apparently, you know, he went. He, we all remember the scene where Bill comes to him and he's like, hey, they weren't really 88 of them, but they just thought it sounded cool. Or that whole shit. So he knew that, OK, well, she's coming, man. So he was prepared. He ended up did he did end up, you know, getting the fucking jump on her and shit. But uh, like his story right there is kind of cool. I don't think it's so great that he hawked the fucking story, which come to find out, you know, we'll 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 figure it out later. But uh, you know, apparently the Hanzo swords are only worth about 250 bucks over there in El Paso. Fucking El Paso, dude. His life right now is he's working as a fucking bouncer in a fucking titty bar and uh in a bullshit titty. Like this not like, even a good titty bar. Not even as cool as the titty twister and from dust till dawn, dude. But like uh this is like nowhere near licker. as cool. Uh, yeah, it's like pussy lickers and damn uh in damn uh house of a thousand corpses, which there's a connection yeah, there. A my, oh my that scene, this is something I love is that in this scene, man, or in this part of the movie, we do get the fucking cameo from Captain Spaulding himself, Sid Haig, who is the bartender. Rest in peace, Sid Haig. He's the bartender in that bar when he comes in, and the in dude's there. like, Is that fun? Yeah. Tell him to get his fucking ass back here. Okay. But, learn like the word with you. And that guy who plays the fucking owner of the bar is fucking great too, man, because he's just back there doing blow and shit. He's like, take a hit, be somebody, baby. You know, but the dude walks in and he's like, goes to the calendar time and everything. And it just says the way he delivers everything. Like, are you trying to convince me that you're about as useless as an asshole right here? You know, I mean, his, his fucking, <laughs> his fucking, he was a small role in that movie, but it was. You work in Wednesday? Nope. Dude. Not, not anymore. <laughs> Calendar time, dude. Fucking with your cash is the only thing you kids understand. Yeah, I thought that dude was 
awesome in this fucking movie. And, and the oh, idea, not only dirt while that's happening, he is actively doing lines of cocaine. There is a, <laughs> a, a, a hooker, a co I don't even know what's going on, but there's a Answer woman with him. And there's a money <laughs> counting machine with stacks of money. And you get the idea that Bud's probably making like minimum wage, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is an incredible, like just flexing all over him. Just so, just to just hammer home how bad Bud's life is, right? Just hammering it home. Like this is the worst. Like you think working in a strip club is fun? Like I don't know what fucking car wash you worked in before, but I didn't know it. I own a fucking car wash. <laughs> First of all, wakey wakey egg and bakey. All right, that's number one. Number two, Bud's living in a single trailer out in the desert, dude. No like, I love his setup too. It, it, it reminds me of some lethal weapon shit. It's like yeah, Mel really well, Gibson was on the beach at least. Yeah. This is just like in a hole, like he's in a canyon, <laughs> like he's in a very bad strategic spot for what it's worth. But this scene is so great, though, and it's also important to see, you know, we can't always have the bride just winning. I like these challenges that she has to go through. And this is one where while you're watching, you're like, how the hell is she going to get out of this? Right. And that's what's so cool. Right. And that's what this movie does. I just I think that this is one of the better scenes in the entire works. Oh, dude, there's almost nothing cooler than the way Michael Menzies says rock salt. I shot her full of rock salt. She's so gentle right now. I could perform her coup de gras with a rock. He just says rock salt. So cool. And that sounds like a uh, Flintstones themed like Metallica cover band or something. Hmm. He does say it cool. That? Yeah. Rock salt. It just, I don't know why. I love his uh, delivery of that line. Oh, dude, he's he's a great character. He's he's The way he's he wears a hat. Like, you can wear it. any hat. One of the best no wearers of hats I've ever role. seen. No one could play this role other than Michael Madsen. He absolutely crushes it. Uh, wakey, wakey, egg and bakey, dude. I mean, that's that's all you got to say. Anything else before we move on to Chapter 8? You know, Bill went far enough to buy him his own Hanzo sword. You know, you, at least if you the idea that, uh, you know, uh, Bill's at least a good brother. And uh, shout out, you know, Larry Gomez, the had owner. He engraved, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, soup. I don't know what car wash you worked before you came here. They let you stroll in 20 minutes late, but it wasn't owned by me, and I own a fucking car wash. I own a fucking car wash. Exactly, man. You know what? I don't own a car wash, but uh, but I do have a sword. I do have a sword, man, and it is not a Hanzo sword, you know, but it is a fucking sword, and none of you guys have a fucking sword, so, you know. Take it to the sword wash. I got a sword. <laughs> that brings us to Chapter 8. Which is a massive winner. The cruel tutelage of Pai Mei. While buried in the coffin, the bride remembers Bill telling her about the great White Lotus Pai Mei. Bill eventually enrolls her to train with Pai Mei. The training is absolutely brutal and just vicious. The bride struggles really bad at first. Eventually, though, she earns... Jaime's respect and becomes an incredible fighter. In the coffin, she uses the short punch technique that she learned from Jaime. I'm doing it right now just for you to escape from the coffin. This is just without a shadow of a doubt. Fantastic. I mean, this is one of the coolest shit. It kind of wraps up all the background detail of this entire movie on anything that makes sense all in one scene. 
And it gets her out of one of the, oh my God, she was buried alive. How is she ever going to get out of this? If anybody I know that's buried alive, they're done, short of somebody digging them up. How is she going to get out of that? How is she going to win that? This scene brings her to it. Super, super, super awesome. I mean, this is my, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We'll talk about it later. My favorite scene in all of Kill Bill. I just want to point out in a Tarantino style, maybe my favorite bit is the very end where the dude working at the diner kind of sees her walk out of a graveyard covered in dirt and then she sits down and asks for water. It's got a very like subtle and stupid, but just after all that, that always just killed me, you know, because it's such a tense scene. She's buried underground, you go through all that, and then you get that just kind of release of laughing at the idea of her just like, you know, this uh, dude working at, you know, just like a soda jerk or whatever, seeing her basically rise from the dead and ask for a glass of water covered in dirt. Just, I always love that. Dude, you know what, man? I've got to say this, this whole Pi May situation and uh, the, the, the entire scene or whatever it is with uh, the, the chapter of, of with him is, uh, is fucking incredible, man. You know, and it's kind of like a, it, it kind of puts you into the same realm as something like, you know, like the, the middle part of blood sport or whatever, where they're doing the training and everything, you know, so it kind of, and then the guy's making you do the weird shit with like obstacles and everything else. So, so I mean, it, it kind of has that feel to it. Although this is Tarantino and this is fucking time a, and this is way different dude. And this guy's fucking eyebrow game his fucking eyebrow game is on fucking point dude nobody can rock eyebrows like that or any kind of style he's got going on even the hair and the beard dude the, the way he fucking rocks his beard and fucking maneuvers that motherfucker dude time a is a motherfucking crazy character dude crazy character and he's hardcore <laughs> he's all that shit and and like you know Whatever it is, man. He's a crouching fucking tiger hidden fucking dragon and then some with a bag of fucking peanuts and chips. I think he also held true to like the folklore and legend of like kung fu films. Like he's that dude. And I think it's not, it didn't go to a level of cheesiness. Like you're kind of wondering, like, how could how could the bride be this great, right? And you meet this dude, and in that setting. And in, in, in that his world that they that they depict so well, it it's like, yeah, that's why. Like, he's that dude. Like, you believe this dude right. could, like, straight up Kung Lao fucking fly across the room and, and kick you. Like, this this dude's a, a wild person. If you survive his cruel tutelage, you're going to be something. And she did. And I just, I love this. I hate that it was only one scene where you get the 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 grit and the in the in the detail of how she become as great as she was because that's super cool and fun to learn and see but it's jam packed with information and I, I just dude this chapter is so good man it, to me well like, i love really it that great. i love it that bill goes like brings her there and he rolls in first and he comes out like kind of like with a fucking little bit a little bit roughed up dude he's got like a little bit of a shot <laughs> he's got a bloody fucking lip dude yeah it went all right man it's good. <laughs> be careful for the first year basically he felt her like yeah the first year is going to be kind of rough he has he hates americans he has nothing but contempt for women go for it man <laughs> yeah very good again deliberately calling out all of the kind of tropes of 
the the training montage and everything from you know kung fu movies and everything like that you know the uh, the wise master but it does get almost cruel at times the eating of the rice and everything she tries yeah. to eat it like no you're not no dog and she tries to just use the chopsticks with both hands and then it's just brutal but you know you see him just be kind of a little bit proud of her when she actually does manage to do it even though it takes two hands and everything Right, right, yeah. I mean, I think, I think in a in a way, it's pretty fucking realistic, man. Like, if if that was the world you were living in and what you were going through, I would expect it to be like that or even more hardcore. You know, yeah. not only is it realistic, it's so vivid to where, like, you see yeah. her like broken down and beaten down and shaking, trying to scoop up a thing of rice. Like, it's chilling dude it's yeah, i mean so Jaime is if Jaime is like mr miyagi i'm like way levels ahead <laughs> well it's the almost the exact opposite of the, the hanzo thing right that goes so well for her and it's like a very formal ceremony and everything and she thinks you know i know it's like before but you think that would have some carry over here and no it's just you know she is just abused really you get the, it's like tough love kind of but you know really he just uh goes hard and then you get the idea i guess you know eventually we find out why you know l would have turned on him and everything because he takes no shit from no one yeah dude no he's 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 hardcore man and you know i didn't nothing with the mandarin subtitle bothered me at all with this either like that's how great that this this whole chapter was where i didn't get bothered by having to read the subtitles did that affect anybody else It, it didn't for me at all no, the only problem with me is being able to read them quickly enough to comprehend it. You know, like sometimes I struggle with sub- subtitles. Sometimes I'm not a huge fan of them because it's like, oh, fuck, man, I'm trying to watch. Now I got to, you know, so it, it takes me a minute to like compute. But yeah, the, this wasn't really a, a, a situation where it bothered me or irritated me at all, you know, because it's, it's necessary. You know, I've seen the version of this movie without the subtitles in it. And it's like, you don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, you can kind of get it from mannerisms and whatnot and, and moods and shit, but, like, you you need those subtitles, so. Yeah, I watch everything with subtitles, so I am probably the wrong person to ask. And uh, just if you could, right before we move on, would you prefer the, uh, we talked about it, the uh, the Nikki spinoff, uh, Cottonmouth's Daughter, or would you prefer a Pi May sequel or spinoff? I know he dies here, but like some kind of prequel with him training people or an animated series or something. I mean, I would like to see more Pi May, I feel. I would too, bro. Like, I want both. I can't pick. That's, yeah, that's... so you can make one like an actual sequel, one like an animated prequel yes. or something. Like an, yes. an R-rated animated prequel with Pi May, I think would be awesome. Dude, it would be so cool, dude. We got to figure out the time frame here because if L killed Pi May, that means my man was like a hundred years old or something. You could do a long ass prequel with him. I feel there's a lot. Yeah, of well, shit yeah, 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 no doubt. But it depends on like where like uh, Beatrix was. Obviously, she was there before L. Then, uh, you know, that's something that I that I kind of like thought about earlier. Is like where's the where's the uh, time lapse as far as like the difference between L and and B? Yeah, um, it's also at the same point where I realized I'm like, hmm, I think Bill has banged all of the other divas. Did he bang his brother? He, probably everybody but the brother, but uh, he, I mean, he did I bang know. everyone else. I'm pretty sure because he definitely banged at least you know As Alan Beatrix, and I'm pretty sure he banged you know uh, Cottonmouth there, uh, Vernita as well. If you're the man, why not? <laughs> and he was I mean, man. he doesn't. You know, I mean, you, if you're in a Hanzo sword, you're probably part of the you know the uh, the the sword union. You gotta penetrate. 
Yes, and swords do penetrate. If you're a good fucking swordsman, man, sword master or whatever, wielder of a sword. And I guess uh, probably the last thing on the five minutes, just all very cool kung fu shit. All the the board training, the walking with the the you know the uh, whatever the fuck you call it with the bags of sand or water and everything yeah. like very uh, you know training. tropey kung fu shit. But the score was perfect. The execution was perfect. It, it you know uh, top tier training montage. I feel. Yeah, and this is really the only element of this second volume here that that, that kind of dipped back into the whole, uh, you know, kung fu aspect of it, you know, because there's not a whole lot of, there's really not much sword play in the second movie. Um, they try to get the swords out in Bud's trailer, but I don't think anybody actually really gets it out of the sheath. So, so the, not a lot of not a lot of sword play in here, and and uh, and I like that the 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 Pai Mei, uh, flashback was uh, was was still uh, staying true to that whole like you know concept of it. Dynamite segue for uh, chapter nine soon, and that brings us to chapter nine. L and I, L shows up at Bud's trailer to buy the bride's Hanzo sword, and from a distance, the bride witnesses her arrival. In the trailer, Elle eventually kills Bud via a black mamba snake that she hid in the money. Elle calls Bill and tells him that Bud was killed by a snake planted by the bride. She collects her money and goes to leave when she's confronted by the bride. The two face off and eventually the bride gets the upper hand by snatching out Elle's only remaining eyeball. She crushes the eye. Uh, literally in between her toes. It's very gross, but needed. Grabs her sword and leaves. Guys, Chapter Nine's pretty freaking cool too. There's so many favorite parts, including Bud's dirty ass blender, in the fact that he served drinks in mason jars before it was fucking cool. People yes, do did. that now. Bud was doing that back then. The snake hidden in the money was great, and the idea that he had a golf bag. He doesn't play fucking golf, but that's where he put his Hanzo sword. But that's how. He kept it, uh, obviously, for sentimental reasons, I'm assuming, but the idea that he put it in a golf bag that he just never uses, I mean, that would like be having a Picasso and putting it like behind a uh, picture of the bill schedule from three years ago in your bathroom or something. <laughs> it's right there behind my fucking Hendrix. Yeah, the stuff. schedule from 2003. Remember <laughs> that? It was a great banner season. But when she sees the Hanzo sword and pulls it out, the, the close quarters fight is awesome. And Netflix did something cool like this with the Daredevil in their first season, but it makes it really intense. And uh, just the way that Elle flips out when she pops out the eye in the bathroom, apparently a lot of that was improv. And she actually, the Daryl Hannah hurt herself and caused a lot of actual damage because she just fucking went for it. But it's nice. awesome. Way to go, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, man. She go, dude, she flails around, right? She's she knocking the fucking. Yeah. She flails hard. You get the idea that the bride was going to kill her, and she just looks at her and like, "That's worse than dying." And just, I'm good. Like, that's right. literally worse than. And this, I would and be doing you a Mike favor by fucking killing you. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would even be uh, more poetic justice of like Mama got her. Good right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. But see, here's what I here's what I have. Uh, you know, you know, the, and as you mentioned, the cinematography here, where it goes from like, you know, as they're having the conversation before that, before that fucking eye, before the eye thing, man. But she asks her about it, you know. So did she not see that coming? I guess not with the one eye. I don't know. So, but then it's uh, but then with the camera work, it's just focusing on the eyes back and forth. So I almost did see it coming, you know. So that's one thing that always kind of gets me. Like maybe she should have thought this out a little bit more, prepared for that, thinking it might have been an option. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's not as big of a surprise, but dude, when it happens, the reaction oh, yeah. uh, is incredible. The way she's, you know, it's it's so believable. Like that's how somebody would act if they just had an eyeball plucked out of their head, dude. Like that's like tell somebody now, like, totally hey, blind. Like it's not like you lost one eye. Now you're totally blind. Yeah, now you're totally fucking no eye. To act like you lost one eye from your like that's hard to do. She nails it. That's the point I'm trying to drive home here. Hundred percent. That's uh, as awesome as the the nurse scene is with her. That's you know. Daryl Hannah, I think, is an underrated actress, man. To be honest, oh, especially here, hundred percent. Really cool shit, dude. Guys, we have officially arrived at the last chapter, face to face. The bride meets with Esteban Viejo, who gives her Bill's location. When she arrives, ready to kill Bill, she's shocked to find her daughter, Bibi with Bill. After talking for a while, Beatrix pokes BB to bed while watching Shogun Assassin. Then, she goes to confront Bill, who shoots her with a drug, forcing her to tell the truth. After a monologue about superheroes and comic books, the action moves to the backyard. We discover how Beatrix found out that she was pregnant, and Bill talks about his decision to kill her. Eventually, they face off, and Beatrix quickly dispatches Bill with the legendary five-point palm exploding heart. It's a big one. This technique is absolutely deadly. It was taught to her by, by Pai Mei. After Bill dies, Beatrix collects BB, and they drive off. And I guess there's shout-out Michael Parks is uh, a step-on here or whatever, that whole bit. And apparently, this was shot on location, and, and those women are apparently, you know, hopefully they're okay, but they are actual prostitutes, I believe. Nice. Ladies of the evening. And Michael Parks with all his, like, smoking and the teeth, that's just, uh, that's just great. It's so grimy, but you get the idea that, you know, he knew, Bill knew she was coming, so she's like, alright, here you go, here's, here's where he is, just go get him. First sign, it's not going to be, you know, that it might be more complex than that. Might be, but I like that they didn't spend a whole lot of time with this. You know, I don't think it was necessary to really dive into the whole fucking any kind of backstory here um, other than what was already fucking initially sprinkled in. So, I, you know, I, I think this was well played. Guys, as is this entire movie, you could say, like, how Quentin Tarantino is this, right? Like, he was a massive fan of Kung Fu. And, you know, he had this this crazy thing with with Uma Thurman and he creates this whole character to hear them talk about superheroes and comic books. I mean, you can't tell me this was written by any like that is so Quentin Tarantino uh, during that monologue and like the whole interaction with with Bill and Beatrix. It totally is Quentin. And 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 I think it's awesome. Yeah, the whole Clark Kent thing, especially does seem pretty on brand and uh the whole idea that originally bill was supposed to be like a master chemist and that's why he has that like you know crazy truth serum he shoots into her whatever there's more backstory for that that we don't actually get but i like that idea you know because bill had to be pretty cool right to get all these people to work for him and he had to be badass if i have a complaint it's that we never get you know bill being that badass you could say like you know that's great like maybe that ruined uh Star Wars, when you get to see Yoda actually do a lightsaber duel, but 
carrots on the table was still pretty fun. Dude, you're right though, man. Like you, you the Bill's known by reputation. We see him with a Hanzo sword. We just he never uses it. You know, he's it just... got it. So there's a reason he's got it. He must have had to have probably used it. He fights Pai Mei. He gets he her to trade Beatrix. Like there. he has he's to. Pai Mei. Like he's got the reputation, and he's solely known by his reputation in this movie. We don't see him in action. Well, we I guess we kind of do. You know, I mean, he does kill, or he does put a fucking bullet in. Beatrix's head and she, you know, but I mean, we see him in action a little bit, but we don't see him really throw down. We don't know his backstory. I think a prequel, maybe involving Bill, would kind of be cool, you know, but I, I don't know that it would be something Tarantino would do as like a movie. You know, if somebody else wanted to do as like a branch off, maybe who was involved, I could see that happening, but you know. And there were a lot of people who could have played Bill, including. Jack Nicholson, Kurt Russell, Mickey Rourke, Burt Reynolds, and Warren Beatty. Is David Caroline still your bill, or are any of those options kind of a uh, peak interest? Yeah, Nicholson maybe, but Caroline is only because that's what I know Bill uh, as, and I like the whole thing of Tarantino, how he sometimes takes some of these actors that haven't worked in a while and gives them a fucking fresh start, you know, like he did it with... Uh, Travolta. Yeah, yeah, Travolta most famously, you know, but uh, but you know, I like the idea that he you know, I mean, I, I get the options there, and that's cool, but as far as this character goes, Caradine was perfect for it. I mean, like I said, maybe fucking, uh, maybe Nicholson, but but I don't see anybody else really being able to play this one the way that it that it is, you know. Yeah, Car- Caradine is makes us takes us the character to. And I don't think Nicholson could even do it with the fucking kung fu shit. It'd be that. different. I again, he said if Warren Beatty did it, then Bill would have been more like James Bond instead of like a kung fu guy. You know what I mean? So he yeah. did bring that to the character. I, I think the, the Kurt Russell would have been interesting. I think. I don't think I, I, Kurt Russell's great. It would have been different. It would have totally been different. You know? Yeah. A little more comedic, maybe. Not like that underlying level of uh, sinisterness or what have you that Caradine can bring. You know what I mean? Like he seems so nice right when he's making the sandwich for BB and everything like that. But then when he shoots him with the dart and gets down to brass tacks, you can get the idea like, oh shit, he is maybe someone you shouldn't fuck with. And I think he does oh, a great sure. job of bringing that kind of contrast to the role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a voice of reason a lot of times, like at the massacre. It's all good until like you obviously know that he told everyone to all right, come kill everybody. While he's sitting there being cool, talking to all these people. Yeah. All right. All right. Is he might made... have overreacted. He might have overreacted. He may have overreacted. Uh, overreacted. I overreacted. Guys, if it may please the court, I'd like to move that in interest of time, we declare Kill Bill to be. So you think you're sponge worthy? Yes, I think I'm sponge worthy. I think I'm very sponge worthy. You know, you're nuts with these sponges. Run down your case for me again. She said I wasn't sponge worthy. Wouldn't waste a sponge on me. Sponge worthy via unanimous voice voting. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Yeah, sponge, sponge worthy. worthy. Yeah. No question. Well, now that we determine that Kill Bill is sponge worthy, it is time to eat our kaboom cereal and head to school and give it to a final grade. Mills, how are we handling this two-parter? Uh, nothing too complex here. We're going to grade volume one and volume two on a scale of one to ten black mambas. We'll start with volume one. I'll kick it off. I'm going 9.2 
Black Mambas, Jamie G, Mamba it up for me. I'm right there with you. I'm going 9.1 Black Mambas. Soup Deucer, 1 to 10, Black Mambas, Volume 1. Volume one, man, is getting uh, it's getting it's getting a good 90, 93.5 fucking black mambas, dude. 9.35, the man with the double decimals, and, uh, like a we're, we're, we're practicing the snake style, both in you know our assassin names and our draft style. So, soup, you're going to be the first to grade Kill Bill volume two again, scale of one to ten, black mambas, volume two. I'm giving it an equal 93.5 black, black mamas on volume two because this movie is fucking uh, it, it, whatever. 93.5 on, on that too, man. I'm into the equality, man. I'll equal everything, you know, fair enough. Jamie G. Kill Bill volume two. I love volume two. To me, it was, it was my favorite of the two. Um, I'm giving it 96.5. I'm doubling down on those decimals as well. 9.65. And I love y'all for being dicks because I might have to average these numbers. I think I technically prefer volume one. So I'm going 9.04 volume two. And that gives me an average of 9.1. Jamie G, you have an average of, call it between 93.5 and 94. And soup, you obviously have an average of 93.5. So if we're going to grade the whole bloody affair of both movies together, do you think it's going to check in where your average is? Or would the grade be raised if this was a combined flip? I'll go first and I will say, yeah, I think if this was upgraded as a whole movie instead of just two parts, I'd actually raise it up to probably like a 9.5. I mean, mine kind of, I kept the same level of uh, grade because of that. And so I think they're, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, man. I, For I'd consistency purposes, 9.35 seems right in there with 9.35 seems 93.5, whatever the fuck sounds. A lot of black mambas. You're way dead at that point. You're dead after the second one. Jamie G, what do you think, man? Is the, uh, the sum of the parts, you know, is the whole greater than the, the pieces or what do you think? Some of For me, the sum of the parts, it's a 95. It's it's really good. It's a fantastic movie. There's not a whole lot to nitpick about. I love it. I think it's way up there for, for Quentin Tarantino, which if you're talking about the best of Quentin Tarantino, that's an incredible category to be in. And, and I think the Kill Bill kind of collection is is in is in that crowd. So yeah, and that 95, and that's that's high praise. So we obviously all love this. So real quick before we move on to next time, what was your just favorite fight overall of the, the the whole bit i actually think as weird as it is it might be the l fight it, as short as it is i just love the the close quarters and, and the ending and you get a little sword fighting a little eye snatching i think it works great for me uh jbg soup whoever wants to jump in here what's your just favorite fight of the two flicks for me it, it was the oren at the end i just something visually there just really did it for me but honorable mention to the gogo fight i thought that was way up there and would be my would be my 1b if if i was picking that was an incredible fight scene i hear you man and shout out to all those cuz i mean shit dude it's hard to pick a favorite out of this but since this hasn't been mentioned yet and it is one of my particular favorites matter of fact if not the favorite is the fucking opening scene with Bernita Green, dude. I mean, that's a good fucking yeah. fight. Scene. 
it gets really gritty in there, dude. It's like, you know, it's got the music and shit, but it also gives you the whole like real hardcore where like the music stops and you just hear like sound effects, like, you know, with the, with the, with the pain and the, and the eye, you know, and it's just, it's good, dude. It's a good way to fucking really bring you into a movie. So uh, that, that opening fight was fucking uh, way up there on, on many, many levels. So I'm going to have to give it to that one. Perfect. And let's just uh, kind of finish it off here by giving our favorite scene or moment non-fight club division. So, you know, basically favorite scene, moment, what have you that didn't involve a fight. And I am going to go with the tie between uh, the moment in the uh, the Copperhead, the Vernita Green opening fight scene where you see the bus arrive. And then just the uh, the random scene of uh, Charlie Brown just getting fucking berated by his manager in the opening kind of walkthrough long scene through the the house of the the blue leaf sequence. I always love that. That just poor Charlie Brown is just getting shit on the whole time, and uh, it, it's always a real fun one for me. Jamie G. Soup kind of favorite moment scene non fight division from Kill Bill. Yeah, for, for me, for me, I'm gonna go chapter. And for me, the my favorite, it has to be the cruel tutelage of 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 Pi May. I mean, that was the coolest chapter in this entire thing for me, but definitely honorable mention to uh the the the, the empty grave of Paula Schultz, dude. Like Budberry's the bride, way up there too. Those those are my two favorites. Budberry's the bride. Not sure if that's a snuff film or a death metal band, but could go either it, way. It's probably either are. Probably both. Uh, yeah, I mean, hard, hard to pick, dude. I mean, those are all great ones. I, I'll take uh, the fucking uh, one where Beatrix comes in and has a situation with uh, with Tori Hanzo in there and the whole dialogue exchange there with the restaurant and the making of the sword and everything. You know, I thought I thought that was definitely definitely very, very, very cool as far as a, uh, a slow down, not so much action packed part of the fucking flick. Um, you know, and as far as the Pyme and everything else, you know, I'll agree with all that as well. You know, and there's not one moment in this movie that isn't fucking entertaining. So, before we move to the next time on soup, sake, room temperature, or other, what are you supposed to drink it at? I think it depends on the level of 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 the quality of the sake, man. You know, if you get shitty sake, I think you want it hotter. But I think I think when it comes down to a standard, is about one one fourteen. Fahrenheit or something like that. If you want to serve the warm sake, uh, do you drink it hotter if it's shitty sake? And uh, and some people like to drink it cold. I guess you can do it either way. But what they do say about the sake, man, is uh, is as good as it doesn't cause fucking hangovers because it's basically just fermented fucking rice in like water and shit. So like, there's no like sugar or whatever the fuck in it. So uh, I guess you don't get hangovers off the sake. This is interesting, and I almost thought about drinking sake tonight just to test this theory out, but I didn't. I stuck with the bush ice instead. So maybe <laughs> one day we'll do sake instead, and we'll put a we'll fucking put this to the test if you're going to get a hangover off of drinking sake. But they drink it in these little things, and you're not supposed to drink it like a shot, even though it comes in like little shot glasses. You're still supposed to sip it like wine. It's about the alcohol volume of a wine, you know. So you drink it, you just sip it. But yeah, they say you don't get a hangover off a of, off of the sake, man. No matter what temperature you fucking serve it at, so temperature is all preference, I guess. Uh, right on, man. And uh, to paraphrase <laughs> something we once saw, uh, Jamie G, sake it to us, baby. With uh, what we're doing next time, we're trying to get to a movie. You better get going. You don't want to miss one second of that movie. Is it that good? <laughs> it's the best goddamn movie I've ever seen in my life. Oh, dude, hangs dumb. I-
That brings us to the point where we must decide what we're going to talk about next time, right here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We do this by all pitching something, and then we vote on a winner. The only rules are that you can't vote for yourself, and you can't repitch something previous, previously lost until the designated repitch week, which happens every seven episodes. If there's a tie, we spin the wheel in the sky. It keeps on turning. And we don't know where we'll be tomorrow. It's time to lead with our strong hand. So I'm up first here, followed by the soup deucer, and then Magnum Mills will round us out. Guys, I woke up this morning and I was like, what am I going to pitch? And I said, fuck it. I'm here to win. I don't care. I haven't won in a while. I'm going all in. All my chips in the center stage here. I'm pitching Demolition Man. Let's watch it. I can't wait to do it. I want to see it. It should win. Like I would, I'm excited about rewatching it. This is one of my favorite movies ever. Let's just do it, dude. What are we beating around the bush? Soup, you're up next. Holy fucking shit, dude. Okay, well, Demolition's gonna be hard to Demolition Man's gonna be hard to fucking uh, size up against here. But you know, I'm gonna relate. I'm gonna keep in. The, I'm gonna keep in the rotation or keep in the fucking scheme of things here, man. You know. Kind of like how one song flows into the other. You just put the fucking arrow there, and we're gonna arrow right into one from Kill Bill, you know, uh, into uh, involving some of these fucking people that acted in Kill Bill, namely fucking Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah, and uh, and and I'm pitching a movie that's a little bit fucking less known. It's called The Last Days of Frankie the Fly, dude. We are gonna watch fucking Frankie the Fly, man. One of these days, if it doesn't win now, we're going to eventually. But it's got Michael Madison. It's got Daryl Hannah. It's got a killer fucking cast. It's got Keeper Sutherland in there, dude. You have Reefers in there, man. Dennis Hopper is leading the whole fucking thing. This is a fucking killer movie. It reads like like it, it's like it, it, it views like a Tarantino flake, even though it isn't. It's got like his crew of people like in there, man. The story's fucking good. It's definitely worth checking out. I've thrown it out there before not not on uh not on here but i've definitely thrown it out into the into the world before when we've talked about it previously and once again i'm gonna bring it up huge on it last days of frankie the fly i think more people need to check it out i think we need to watch it and talk about it well shit great pitch i had i had ideas i had good things none of them are gonna get there against those two so i have to go big guns and say like yo absolutely fucking shitty and horrible jim brown died recently great football player maybe a better actor and most importantly a goddamn great human being so maybe you think i'd pitch any given sunday no could it be mars attacks no you know what i'm going with give me fucking the running man classic arnold film Written oh. by Stephen King, starring Jim Brown as Fireball amongst the crew as Eddie. We've done Beetlejuice before. Uh, boy, here it shows up as Dynamo. A lot of good stuff, man. I had to go heavyweight. I wasn't going to do it. You forced me to do it, and I'm not talking in a, in a you know negatory, better wife kind of way. That's where it's at. I am pitching the Running Man group of heavyweights there. Dude, this is fucking crazy. Dude, this, this is the, this be, may be the hardest, yeah. most top shelf <laughs> choice selection we've ever done in regular dudes watched up three apps. I want to watch all three, like right now. The, the incredible uh Mills, 
big job here for you. Please go ahead, recap the options, and remind us, because I'm I'm spun here, what order are we voting in? All right, let's just uh, start out by recapping the options. JBG, you pitched the mid-90s classic, Demolition Man. Soup, you pitched the cult classic, The Last Days of Frankie the Fly. Well, I pitched the absolute perfect movie, not quite as good as Predator, but almost the running man. And what we do is we vote in the reverse order in which we nominated. So I have to vote first, followed by the soup, and then Jamie G is potentially the decider. This is a rough one, man, but I am literally wearing, I'm wearing a Demolition Man t-shirt. And if you are willing to pitch the, you know, the movie, the T-shirt that I'm wearing, I feel obligated, so I am going Demolition Man. Soup? I'm having an incredibly difficult fucking time with the two of these because it's either Demolition Man or Running Man, you know. And that's... There's no wrong answer. <laughs> but you had me until, like, the you know, these two of these. I was like, well, that's what, you know, those are my balls. The problem here is... There's no wrong answer. I need to keep this thing alive, so I'm going to have to go with uh, the Running Man. Oh, he's trying to keep himself alive. Uh, strategic vote, strategic vote, JBG. Does he keep himself alive or does he go there? Does he go to Beirut and do a show there? We've all seen the other movies. You guys haven't seen Frankie the Fly yet. I got to keep it alive for the hopes. <laughs> he is going to go there and he's going to get there. And for another week, we're going to let the wheel in the sky decide because as bad as I want to see The Running Man, I've never seen Frankie the Fly. So I've got to vote there. He's keeping it alive, dude. The wheel in the sky will tell us again. This is unbelievable. All right, here we go. The wheel spins. The wheel, the wheel, the wheel, the wheel. Demolition, man. JBG, take your victory lap. I would. This is one week where I would not have been mad on no matter what one. But I got to tell you guys, I'm super pumped to be checking out Demolition Man. This is going to be so much fun. We're going to have quotes galore. We're going to be breaking it down. I cannot wait to watch it and talk about it with my favorite dudes. Thank you guys for checking out Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. We really appreciate it. Don't forget the flaps. Please follow, like, and subscribe. If you've got a movie or show that you'd like for us to talk about, hit us up on the social media. Let us know. We'd love to break it down right here on Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Hit us up in the comments of the YouTube video, podcast, wherever you're checking us out. And we will do what you wish. Your wish is our command. Oh, maybe we should pitch that one next time. Mills, remind everybody where they can find us. Yeah, we're so excited for this, man. Let's go blow these guys. Away. Away. (laughs) Let's go blow these guys away. Away. Regular dudes, watch stuff wherever your pods on the YouTube, on the social meds at dudes. Watch stuff again. I am Megan Mills. He is Jamie G. That's a soup producer. He just seen some shit. You just seen some shit. It was Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair. We hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next time and all that good shit. Thanks again for checking it out. Regular dudes watch stuff. We'll be back next week to cover Demolition Man. It's going to be a a big one. We'll see you guys there. It's going to be a big one, man. And this is a soup dude signing off with the rest of the guys here, man. Just to fucking say thank you for checking us out. Thank you for flaps and everything else. More importantly, at the end of the day, we all discovered that Kill Bill is a fucking awesome movie. 
one and two are as a whole. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's worth watching. It's fucking stellar, dude. Now moving on to Demolition Man, man. I just hope that next week we find out what the fuck to do with these three seashells, man. We'll see you then. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of that. <laughs> the three seashells. Shout out Rob Schneider. Big stand. Yeah, Rob Schneider coming back. Yeah. <laughs>